0: Good morning, everyone. Please turn to the book of Revelation, where we've been for the past couple of weeks. I was not here last week. I understand that Rick preached about the relevancy of Revelation. The fact that we are in the last days. Ron is signaling to me that I don't have my amplifier on. Can people hear me better now? All right. If you would remember from two weeks ago, I left at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 1 through 3 of Revelation mainly dealt with the church. We spoke about the book of Revelation being a book in which God reveals how he feels about sin. And the first three chapters had to do with sin in the church, how God felt about sin in the church, how he desired purity in the church. Now we're going to begin looking at the world. Judgment begins at the house of God. But it continues until God will express how he feels about every sin that ever has been committed. And now we're turning to how God feels about sin in the world. Let's start with chapter 4. I'm going to just pick a few verses from each chapter, because we only have two weeks left and another uh, 20 or so chapters to cover. So this will not be a verse-by-verse study again. This is to your benefit to get a a glimpse of what the book is about. Really, there's nothing that substitutes for a real study of the Bible yourself, going verse by verse. But hopefully, there'll be enough things that I might stir up this morning to give you a greater desire to look into the book of Revelation and to get more out of it yourself. So looking at chapter 4, we'll start at verse 2. Verse 2, chapter 4. Immediately I was in the Spirit... And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. This is the Apostle John again. Remember, he's on an island in Patmos, and God is giving him this vision. And now God is carrying him in a vision to the throne room of heaven. And we'll move to verse 8. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, And by your will, they exist and were created. So the throne room of heaven is very busy with one thing. It is the worship of God. We see in particular in verse 8, four living creatures. This might be the first time we're introduced to them in the Bible. They're similar to creatures we see in the book of Ezekiel. They might be the same creatures. And they're worshiping God, and they do not rest, they And night. Again, they're creatures that God created. They're different from us. As you can tell from the description, they have six wings and full of eyes within and without. And they don't dress day and night. I can't do that. I have to to rest at night. But they're different creatures. And it appears the one reason they were created was to be there in the throne room of God. They're the, the first created beings around God and they're worshiping Him constantly. The eyes, speak to me of the fact that they really get to see. They get to see what God does. And the result is worship that overflows from their heart to God. Worship is a word that before becoming a believer didn't seem very attractive to me. It seemed that it's a bunch of people just repeating motions and repeating words. But it's not. Worship is something that should come from your heart as you truly appreciate who God is. God doesn't want us to just repeat words and repeat motions. He wants us to come to know him for who he is. And when we truly come to know him, there will overflow this worship. I said that the four living creatures were created to worship God. We were also created to worship God in a different way. We get to know God in a different way than these four living creatures. But that's also our purpose, to come and worship God. We're given the first reason to worship God in uh, this section, We'll cover uh, chapters 4 through 11, Lord willing, in verse 11. It says this, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That's the first reason given to worship God. By, By your will they exist and were created. You created all things. The reason I'm here is because God created me, first of all, and secondly, because God is willing for me to continue to exist. If God stopped willing for me to continue to exist, I will disappear. I will become nothing. For me, that's a pretty good reason to worship God, to appreciate God. It's only because of him that I'm actually here and able to speak to you guys, and if you appreciate at all anything that I say, you should appreciate God. Also, the fact that you can sit here and listen to me is because of God, too. That's a good reason to worship God. The first one given. Moving on to chapter 5 and picking up in verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with the seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Jumping to verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne, and in the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. All right, here we have something new happening. So, uh, John has been carried to the throne room of heaven, and he sees God being worshipped, and now he sees something new. There's a scroll in the hands of him who sits on the throne. That is God. There's a scroll. Now, we'll find out, turns out, that this scroll will reveal how God feels about sin. It's really the... The book of Revelation could be well reflected in the scroll that God is holding. How God feels about sins. What God is like. Remember, God created us to worship him. And to worship God means to come to know him as he is. And, and appreciate him for that. So the only way we're going to come to know God is if he reveals himself to us. Well, that's what he is doing in this chapter. And really in the whole book of Revelation, God reveals to us what he is like and how he feels about sin. And now the cry comes out from an angel who is worthy to open the scroll and look therein? That is, who is worthy to reveal to the rest of creation how God feels about sin? And the as- answer is that there was none. There was none, no created being that was worthy to reveal how God feels. And the reason for that is no one is able to perfectly reflect how God, what God is like. I might ask somebody, I'll tell him, you know, this is something I want you to do, and he'll go and he'll do it for me, and he will express he will express my will in some fashion. And he might do a pretty good job of it. But when you talk about God and God's perfection, there's no one who's really able to communicate to the rest of us what God is like, except for one. And that's what we see in verse 6. And I look, and behold, in the midst of the throne, in the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it has been slain. And he is the one that that walks to the the throne and takes the scroll from the hands of God. And he is the one who will reveal to creation how God feels about sin. Or we we can call it the wrath of God. How God feels about sin. Well, if you can think about the angriest moment you ever had in your life because you saw something so wrong, you're going to come close to how God feels about sin. And it's going to be Jesus' job to reveal to the world how God feels about sin. Now we see here as we continue and looking at verse nine. So first of all Jesus is able to reveal what God is like. He is called the Word of God. And that's actually what it means. The Word of God is God's communication to the universe of himself, of what he is like. And that's Jesus. Jesus is as the Son of God and he reveals to the world, to the universe, to the created all the created beings, what God is like. That's Jesus. Nobody can take his place. But there's a particular reason of why Jesus is worthy that is recognized by the four living creatures and the elders and the angels. And they say this in verse 9. They say to him, to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people And nation, What they're talking about, they're talking about what God did on Calvary. The Lamb, the Son of God, was slain on Calvary. It was a demonstration of love. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Uh, It was the way God showed us how much he loved us. Jesus was willing to pay for our sins instead of us. There isn't a love like it. That's how much God loves you and how much God loves me. Now, why is that makes it Jesus worthy in revealing the wrath of God. Well, there's often a confusion in the minds of people. There's often a confusion when they see God judging someone for their sins, which we see that a lot in the Old Testament, we see that in the book of Revelation. A lot of time people kind of shrink from that, like, boy, God really hates those people. And because of that, a lot of people think that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different gods. Because in the Old Testament, you see the wrath of God revealed a lot. In the New Testament, especially in the cross, we see the love of God. So people are thinking, well, they're, they're like it's like they are two different gods. No, they're the same God, but just because God's reveal, um, just because God is uh, judges people for their sin, doesn't mean that God does not love them. And so, because in Jesus we have someone who revealed exactly how much He loves you and me, when He then judges the sins of people that He loves so much, He was willing to die for them. We really see it's the justice of God, it's the righteousness of God, it, it's the wrath of God against sin, not against people. Again, God hates sin, He loves people. And because He revealed His love for people, He can reveal the wrath of God against sin without there being confusion. I mean, people still a lot of time tend to be confused, but it's not God's fault. God is revealing the fact He loves people, while at the same time He judges sins. Both attributes are perfect. It's the same God in the old and the new testament. All right, let's move on to verse six. Sorry, chapter six. Chapter six, verse one. Now when I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So now the Lamb, Jesus, has taken the scroll from God and is going to reveal to the world how God feels about sins. He will reveal the wrath of God. (laughs) Well, uh, the scroll is sealed with seven seals. We don't have that so much these days. We just have books and you can open them. But we sometimes see seals on letters. Sometimes when you have a letter, maybe especially an official letter, there will be a seal on it that keeps it closed, and it will also show if there's any tampering that happens in it. So, so Jesus takes this scroll, and before he can open it, he ha- he can open it and reveal how God feels about sins. He, start, he has to take off the seals. And with each seal that he takes off, some judgment falls upon the earth. Now, the word judgment may not be precise, especially one of them is not a judgment at all. It's really a wake-up call to man- mankind. He's about to reveal the reveal how God feels about sin. But what really God wants to see happening is he wants people to repent of their sins. God made a way of salvation for people to come to him and not to have to experience the wrath of God. And that's what he wants people to do. He wants people to come to him and be saved. But people remain stubborn in their sins and, and, and they're usually self-deceived or deceived by the devil and they don't recognize the fact that they need to be saved. It's what's often referred to as the bad news. You need the bad news before you need the good news, because if you don't know the bad news, you're just going to keep doing what you're doing, and you're not going to change, you're not going to listen to what God is saying. So really, the first set of judgments, known as the seal judgment, is God's wake-up call to the world. He's trying to wake people up. Okay? Well, the first one, the first judgment, has to do with a white horse, and uh, there's one on the white horse, that has a bow he, he bow, he has a crown, he went out conquering and to conquer This is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will conquer this world. He will come to control this world as no one has ever seen anybody come to. We've seen some dictators over limited areas of land, uh, and they exerted their rule to some extent. were able to control the people to some extent. The Antichrist will be able to control the whole world to an extent never seen before. We're we're told that he's going to have people will have to stamp their hands or their foreheads, or they're not going to be able to do any business. They're not going to be able to buy. Or people have to worship his image or they're going to be put to death. I mean, he's really going to uh, control the world. Well, uh, really what what God is showing mankind here, and this is all a result of mankind rebelling against God and doing their own thing, what God is going to show them by living God, the protection of God, they've come under the influence of Satan, under slavery to Satan. The Antichrist is basically going to be the devil incarnate. And it's really... Just one way God will show people, look, you you are in trouble. You need to be saved. Okay, I'll keep going. I won't read all the verses because of a limited time. The second seal is a, is a red horseman. He comes with a sword and it says that he's given the power to take peace away from the earth. As people, a lot of time we think we're pretty good. Now, we're not particularly good, but that's what we tend to think we are. And one of the reasons we think we're pretty good is God hasn't allowed us to express our sinfulness to the fool. There's a restraining power in this world. It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is actually restraining the wickedness of man. We all have evil thoughts and an evil heart that we don't fully express. There's something that keeps it back. I know that's true about me, and I believe the Bible, so I know it's true about the rest of you guys. You're not doing all the evil things that you think of doing. Why? Because there's this restraining influence upon us. Well, God is going to take away that restraining influence and really will allow people to demonstrate how wicked they are. And it says that men will kill one another. There's going to be uh, so much murder and all the other terrible things that most of us don't even get to see. The policemen amongst us get to see some of the evil things people are doing. It'll be worldwide to an extent never seen before. Again, to reveal to people the fact, look, wake up. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. The next horseman is a black horseman. He carries uh, a weight, and really, uh, so he scales, and it's really to show the fact that there's going to be uh, a scarcity in the world, scarcity, famine. God provides everything for us, and we don't realize it. A lot of time we think, well, now I'm going to work, I get some money, and I buy some food, and I'm providing for myself. Well, wrong. God gives you everything. We talked about the fact that without God wills us to exist, we won't even exist anymore. He gives us air to breathe water to drink, food to eat. Without God providing, we won't have these things. And the way people will know it is God's going to start closing his feast. And as a result, there's going to be less and less food to, be, to go around. And people are going to start starving. Again, to wake up the world. Look, you're in trouble. You need to be saved. The fourth horseman uh, is uh, says to have uh, carried death behind him, probably represented, representing sicknesses, disease, plagues, Uh, The world's been worried lately about this thing called the avian flu. Because when an avian flu struck about uh, 100 years ago, I think something like 20 million people died around the world. I think it was actually more than that. And and we're afraid if it hits again, millions of people are going to die. Well, we're told that uh, by these four horsemen, a third of mankind is going to die. And a lot of times, uh, we allow small things in our lives to rule us. You know, what's the next show on TV? Uh, when am I going to go next time to see the movies? So just little unimportant things that tend to rule our lives. And then when somebody dies close to us, then it kind of wakes us up and realizes, boy, all these things are not so important. You know, those there's, there's things that are a lot more important. And that's what God is going to try to wake up people for. There's a verse in uh, Ecclesiastes, it says this, It says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting because it's going to uh, instruct the living. The living will go to the house of mourning. They see someone uh, that died and all the people grieving and they'll realize, boy, there's a lot more important things out there than TV and and movies and these other things that keep filling up our lives. And really what, what God is going to try to turn people to is to him. Look, really the important thing about it is to know God. And to have a right relationship with Him. All right, the fifth seal I mentioned is not actually a judgment. It's uh, it shows the the uh, the cry of the martyrs. All the people who were killed for testifying of Jesus are crying out to God and saying, "When are you going to show your righteousness by judging the world?" And that should be a wake-up call to us. This world has has been persecuting people who followed God from the very beginning. It starts with with uh, Cain murdering Abel. And all the way till today, the the world attacks people who testify of the righteousness of God. And it really shows the enmity of the world, our enmity against God. And the fact that God will one day judge us for our enmity against him. Let's go ahead and read the verses for the sixth seal, starting in verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountain and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? There's a verse in Second Peter that says this. It says uh, that there will be mockers in the last days, and they will say this. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they will from the beginning of creation. People tend to take a false confidence from the fact that things haven't changed very much. Every day seems to be the same. The sun rises and everything is the same. So tomorrow will probably probably be the same like today. And because of that, they don't they don't think that God is going to come and change things and judge them for their sins. That's what it's, they say. Where is the problem? Well. You know, I keep hearing people preaching about Jesus coming back, but nothing is happening. And so they take this false confidence. Well, now God is going to do something different. And it's, it's, there's going to be a great o- worldwide earthquake. There's going to be a change in the appearance of the sun and the sky and the moon. And there's going to be meteors falling on the earth. And it's really going to shake people up. They'll realize, boy, things are different all of a sudden. And that's what we see. There's a real response. They're saying, uh, I mean, they're hiding... They're asking uh, the rocks to fall on them. Why? For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? People will finally realize on a world, world basis boy, God is coming. God is going to judge us. And that's what God was trying to accomplish here. He was trying to wake up people. And it worked. People are woken up. They realize God is going to judge them. And they're afraid. And it makes sense. Because he's going to reveal how he feels about sin. And we're sinners. And That means we should be judged. God should punish us for our sins. And that's why they're asking, who is able to stand? Well, there's good news coming. In chapter 7, we'll see that there are people able to stand. Let's read. Again, I'm trying to just select some verses. Let's uh, start at verse 2. Verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice, to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. All right, we'll stop there for now. So we see here two groups of people that are able to stand, meaning they're not experiencing the wrath of God. The first group of people is on the earth, and that is the 144,000. These are going to be Jews that are saved by God for a specific mission, of evangelizing the world they 're going to be the one preaching the gospel during the seven year period of revelation, and God put, puts a seal on them protection on them that, as God is judging the world and we 'll see it, things are going to get a lot worse on the earth. These people are going to be protected next we see we see uh, it says a multitude that no one can number uh, standing before the throne of God, wearing white garments, worshipping God again, these things should catch attention, that these people are sinners and they should be destroyed by God, they should be judged on the earth, they shouldn't be able to stand in the presence of God, but they can. And why is that? The reason for that is in verse 14. And I said to him, so you know, and he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Yes, these were sinners. It's not because of their own righteousness that they are before the throne. It is because of the fact they were washed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus on the cross, we mentioned it at the beginning, suffered, experienced the full wrath of God for their sins. And God has put it to the account of these people, and so they don't have to experience the wrath of God. Again, God will reveal his wrath against sin. Every sin will have to be paid for. But Jesus on the cross already paid for our sins. And for these people, what Jesus did count, and they stand before the throne, wearing white garments. They are perfectly right in the presence of God, because their sins have been paid for. Well, how are they put to their account? The, something rings bell here for me from the earlier part of the, of the chapter. And because last week I actually was in Los Angeles and uh, celebrating the Passover with my family, there's a lot of similarities between the Book of Revelation and. Their Passover story where God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. There too there were plagues. God was judging the Egyptians, punishing them uh, for their sins, and to get them to release the children of Israel. But the children of Israel were also sinners. They also deserved the judgment of God. And so, <coughs> and this is for the last judgment. God was going to pass throughout Egypt, and he was going to uh kill the firstborn in, in every household. Death is the consequence of sin. Well, he should have also killed the firstborn of every household of the children of Israel. And so he tells them this. In order for me not to kill the firstborn, this is what you need to do. You need to take a lamb. You need to kill the lamb. You need to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts. Then you need to hide inside the house. When I pass throughout Egypt and I judge and kill the firstborn in every house, I will see the blood and I will pass over you. That's why it's called the Passover. God passed over the sins of the children of Israel. Why? Because there was the blood that covered the doorpost, which was really a picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus that was meant to cover their sins. And they applied it. If an Israelite didn't do it, if an Israelite says, well, forget God, forget this promise, and I'm going to go out and celebrate with my friends because we're, you know, we're going to get taken out of Egypt pretty soon, that person would have died. Or if he was a firstborn, he would have died, or his, his firstborn would have died. And so... Uh, in a similar way, we have to apply the blood of of Jesus to us. And we're doing, we do that by trusting in Jesus. Just like the Israelites needed to trust in the way God made to save them, which was taking a blood and putting it on the doorpost, we need to trust God for the way he made to save us, which is by Jesus dying for our sins. That's the only way you're going to get to heaven. All right, that's the good news. Well, and it seems like a lot of people were woken up. A lot of people were saved, right? There was a multitude, a multitude of them in heaven. Uh, So let's move on to chapter 8 and read verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Jumping to verse Six. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. All right. So we saw God tried to wake up humanity, and many people were woken up, many people believed there were a multitude that no one, no one could count, or will result in a multitude that no one could count, in heaven. Well, not everybody did. A lot of people, probably the majority, probably the majority of the people, haven't repented. So God is now moving to phase two of trying to save people. So, I don't know if anybody here is in the Navy, I guess uh, Matt was, and uh, a lot of time you would be patrolling out as a war boat, and there'll be a boat uh, there that shouldn't be there, doing something they shouldn't be doing, and you have to stop them. And the first thing you'll do is you'll just call out to them. Maybe on the speakers or maybe on the radio. Maybe you'll signal to them with flags that they need to stop. And if they stop, great. Well, if they don't stop, you move to phase two. Phase two, if I understand correctly, is you shoot a salvo across the bow. It's basically to tell them, look, if you don't stop, we're going to blow you out of the water. And that's what God is doing here. These are, these are shots across the bow of the world. They're not meant to destroy the world. If God wanted to, he could. Just like a warship could destroy a ship the first time, they don't want them to. They want him to turn. They want them to stop. So they're just shooting across the bow. Pretty serious shooting, though, we'll see here. But that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to get people to turn, to repent. All right. So the first one we saw in verse 7, we see hell, coming, uh, hell and fire coming from heaven, mingled with blood. And the result of that is uh, vegetation on on the earth is destroyed. Not all the vegetation, all the grass is destroyed, and a third of the trees are destroyed. Now the next one, and and you can imagine, uh, you know, we were talking on scarcity of food already in one of the previous plagues. Well now we're saying our main source of food is is plants, or it's animals, when animals eat plants. So, you know, the world is getting in serious trouble here, and it's going to get worse. Uh, the next one, a meteor comes from heaven and hits uh, the ocean, and a third a third of the sea becomes blood, and it says a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Again, the sea is a major source of, of food for us, and it's also a source, a way of commerce. A lot of our goods come over from China, and it's interesting, the, the Pacific Ocean represents roughly one third of the oceans in the world. All, all, in, all on its own, it's about a third of the ocean. And so I'm wondering if it might be the Pacific Ocean that goes with this plague, which you can forget about shipments of goods from China <laughs> at that point. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be a pretty serious impact on the whole world. It's interesting that blood keeps appearing here, and I'm thinking why. And blood is an evidence of the sin of man. I think of, of Cain and how God comes to him and says, where's your brother? And he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says this. He says, the blood of your brother is crying out to me from the ground. And the blood a lot of time, is looked upon as evidence of man's sin. And I think God is using uh, blood in these plagues that he's pouring down upon the earth to really try to strike them. Look, it's because of your sin. That You see the blood, that's your sin. That's why it's happening. That's why these plagues are coming upon you. All right. Uh, third trumpet. It says, uh, the waters are struck. These are the fresh sources of water are, are struck. A third of them gets contaminated. And we may not think a big deal because we can go to Safeway and buy uh, bottled water, for example. But uh, they, uh, I'm told that the number, uh, the first cause of death in the world is lack of good water. So I wonder how much worse it's going to be when a third of the sources of fresh water in the world are destroyed. It's going to get that much worse. The fourth trumpet says the heavens are struck. Uh, the sun, the moon, the stars are going to uh, give less light. It says for one third, by one third. And again, light, well, that's not a big deal. I'll just turn on the switch and I'll have some more light in my home. Well, uh, light that comes from the sun gives us all the energy we have on the world. All the energy we have uh, comes ultimately from the sun food. Our plants grow because they get energy from the sun. That one of the biggest industries, uh, growing this day is solar, the solar industry. They're trying to make more solar powers because we, really, we realize we're running out of, of fossil fuels. We gotta get power some other way. So people are turning to the sun with solar cells. Well, that's gonna get reduced by one third too. Remember, these are shots across the bow. God could have destroyed all sources of power. It's just, this is just meant as a warning to cause people to turn. The fifth trumpet, is it says it 's the locust locusts from the bottomless pits uh, locusts are usually fairly harmless animals. you might get annoyed because there 's so many of them or because they might eat all your plants well in this case, these are locusts that have stings and the one locust it 's interesting the they're so they're so single minded creatures they 're just looking for food it 's just amazing how they come out they just look for something to eat though so it says that the jaws you know you know, are just always doing this. They, you know, it's just what they're trying to do. They're trying to eat. They're looking for something to eat all the time. Well, the only thing these locusts are, are going to want to do is sting people. That's their only purpose. And it says they're going to torment. that these or cause pain to people for five months. I mean, to me, it's you know the the, the creatures I hate the most are like wasps. I help, I hate flying. Stinging creatures. That's what really scares me. Maybe because I've been bitten so many times as a kid. That probably was mainly my fault. But uh, you know, this is just—it's going to be so bad. We we do. We can read one verse about that. It says, verse six in, in chapter nine says, in those days men will seek death, and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Again. You know, you, you, We need to be careful not to think that God is, is getting too mean here. God is trying to stop them from what they're really going to experience, which is going to be worse than this. Remember, these are just shots across the bow. This is not as bad as it's going to get. God is trying to keep them from going there, And that's why he's allowing them to suffer so much. It's out of desire to get them to turn, to realize the way we're going is wrong. we got to turn around and do what God wants us to do. Or else things that are a lot worse are going to come upon us. And that's why... Only, only uh, uh, pain is caused by this locusts. Not death. he could have he could have given them poison to kill people, but he he wants people to turn to turn back. All right, the final uh, trumpet or the sixth trumpet is it will bring about death. It says that an army will come led by angels, a supernatural army, and they will kill a third of the earth. And the purpose is to cause the remaining people to repent. That's the purpose. God God is allowing a third to die in hope that the other two are now going to turn from their sins and are going to repent. Well, let's go ahead and pick up at verse 20 of chapter 9. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So, we see in spite of what God is doing, at least the majority of humanity is still refusing to repent. And there's an interesting pattern we see here. It seems the harder we see harder judgments of God and we see less results. And there's a good illustration for that that's actually used in the book of Revelation. It says this of Jesus that he treads the wine press of the wrath of God. A winepress is a place you put grapes into, and, and you step on the grapes, so the grapes will release the juice, and you collect the juice. And then you take the spent grapes, and you throw them away. Well, this is what Jesus is doing. He's pressing, trying to get people to repent. And at the beginning, there's a lot of juice. You see a lot of repentance. And then he has to press harder and harder, and harder, and we're seeing less. there's less and less left. He doesn't press any harder than he wants to. When he can just press a little bit and get juice, that's all he does. When you have to press harder to get more juice, he does that too. And at the end, what will have no no repentance left in it, God is going to throw that away too. That's going to go to judgment. Chapter 10. Let's pick up at verse 5 of chapter 10. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are in it the earth and the things that are in it and the sea and the things that are in it that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel when he is about to sound the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. I remember when I was with uh, Jews for Jesus, uh, before I went to New York, we had a, a practice, a couple weeks to practice in Chicago. And we were passing our tracts to people and trying to engage them in conversation. And, uh, and if they seemed ready to receive the Lord, pray with them to, to, to receive the Lord, to be saved. And I, I just had an opportunity to pray with uh, an elderly uh, Jewish women, woman. She seemed ready to receive the Lord, so I prayed with her. And you know, I was just so happy, so glad after that and uh, there was there was a man that was sitting, i think a young man, maybe in his teens or twenties, that was sitting on the side, maybe waiting for somebody, and he saw me pray with her, and maybe he also noticed of just how happy I was passing tracks and usually it 's not such a f- such a fun thing, but I was just really encouraged after what happened and so you know he asked me, OK, come here, tell me what you 're doing and I explained to him and uh, I shared more or less the gospel with him and uh, asked him if he was, you know, if he wanted to receive the Lord too. And he said something along the line, well, you know, there's some things I still want to do. Some things I still want to do. He recognized God's offer of salvation. But he wasn't ready to give up the sin in his life. And he was thinking, I'll have an opportunity later. I'll have another opportunity later to repent. So, you know, I'll I'll get to uh, have my cake and eat it too, or whatever people think. Try, trying to somehow have the best of both worlds, what people think, as if sin is a good thing, but I'll get to leave it out, and then I'll be saved at the end, so I'll still go to heaven. That, that's what he was thinking. And God is warning here, people, not to do that. That's what the angel is warning. He's saying, he's swearing by, by the God of heaven and earth. There's going to be... No more opportunity. This is the last chance. And that's true. This was going to be the last chance. The next move, God is going to destroy the earth. And he just wants people to realize, don't wait. If you see your opportunity now, take it. You may not get another opportunity. The fourth that died with the seal plagues, the third that died at the trumpet plagues, doesn't have this opportunity. They were already dead. You don't know how many more opportunities you have. You may not get another opportunity. Take the opportunities that God gives you. Chapter 11. Let's go ahead and pick up in verse 3. God says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Verse 7. Now when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those... Who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. It's amazing to me how much God is working to try to get people to repent of their sins, turn and be saved. This is yet another evidence of it. There's going to be two witnesses. These are, are two prophets that are going to be in Jerusalem. And they're going to be the mouthpiece of God, the public mouthpiece of God, to the world during this time. Again, we have the 144,000 that will be reaching people, trying to uh, reach people with the gospel. These two are really going to be a public uh, outcry to the world. And it looks like all the televisions in the world are aimed at them. All the people are with the cameras, because we see everybody rejoices when they die. How do they know? And how do they see their bodies? Well, because. The TV crews with their cameras are over there watching them. And these people are going to make sure that nobody gets confused about these plagues. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, how do I know which God to believe? How do I know which way is true? Well, God is not going to leave a lot of doubt in those days. These people are going to be prophesying every event before it happens. Before the earth gets struck with the hail, with the blood. Before the... uh, different plagues hits the earth, they're going to call them out one by one telling people what's going to happen next. And they're going to tell people what they need to do to be saved. They need to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. And, and they have all this evidence uh, of the fact that they're telling people the truth. I mean, maybe people will still say, well, I don't want to believe them. I want to believe, you know, Krishna or something else. Well, you're going to have your choice. People are going to be worshipping their idols. But God is going to leave no doubt what is the truth. You will know what the truth is. Now, we see they're killed. Now, there's uh, a number of things to note about that. First of all, it wasn't before their time is up. They had a certain time. It's 1260 days. And it says specifically when they finish their testimony in verse 7, again, God gives us a limited opportunity. He is going to preach repentance and salvation for so long. When that testimony is complete, it's going to be gone. There's not going to be any more opportunity to repent, to be saved. Second, we notice they're killed by the beast that comes out of the bottomless pit. And that is the Antichrist. It's the same as the white horseman. We'll see a lot more about him next week. So you'll have to wait till then. But again, he's fulfilling the purposes of Satan. Well, why does Satan want these people to be killed? Well, Satan's goal when it comes to humanity is to hurt God by separating people from him. He doesn't want to see people turn back to God. So, what these people, these prophets are trying to do, they're trying to turn people back to God. What Satan wants to do is shut them up. And that's how he does it, through the Antichrist. The Antichrist will kill them. Now, another thing to notice about this is, uh, people will rejoice. You know, people will agree, the Antichrist will kill them, but the rest of the world will agree with what he does in their heart. Because they rejoice and they send gifts to one another. Here, these people are trying to save them. These people are willing to lay down their lives for the rest of the world. The world rejoices when they are killed. It shows the heart of of humanity. They want to have nothing to do with God if they can help it. All right. Uh, verse, Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their throne fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. Worship. We talked in the beginning how we were created to worship God. And the first reason to worship God was for creation. We saw another two instances where people worshipped God for his salvation. Here God is being worshipped for what he is going to do with the earth. The earth, if you look at earth history, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. If you look at uh, what people have done to one another, what people have done uh, to this world, the way people have treated God, that's a pretty sad history. Well, that all is going to change. That all is going to change. It's more of a subject that we'll see in uh, chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. There will be a period when God will claim the authority over the earth for himself. And that's what he's talking about. God is being worshipped in verse 17. It says, because you have taken your great power and reign. God will put an end to the rule of mankind over this world. And he's going to bring the the rule of God. And the world will be so much better than it is now. It's going to be perfect. that that's what the angels are worshipping God for. The way he is going to rule over the world. And we can get some glimpse of what it's going to be like by turning to some passages in the Old Testament. Uh, Let's go ahead and turn. We we have just time for that. We're going to finish with chapter 11, so take a breath of relaxation. Uh, We can turn to the book of Isaiah and chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 and starting in verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And if you would turn to chapter 11, we'll just read, starting at verse 6. Isaiah 11, verse 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the wind child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. The world's been been marred by wars between nations, by evil things people have done to one another. And all that is going to change. It says that there will be peace. Uh, The famous verse of beating swords into plowshares and spears into uh, uh, pruning hooks, I think that was the word. They'll take the weapons of war and turn them into tools for agriculture. It says men will not learn to make war anymore. We have all these schools for wars and uh, practices. Uh, John's son Andrew is being trained or has been trained as a Marine. All of that will not be necessary. There will be no more war. All the bad news, we keep hearing about Iraq. People being killed and killing one another. Bad news that Tom and Angela see on the street every day. That's going to be gone. People are not going to uh, hurt one another anymore. There's going to be perfect law, perfect righteousness throughout the world. Even between people and animals, there's going to be peace. There isn't going to be fear of an animal killing you. It talks about a little child leading a lion, putting their hands in a hole of a snake and not having to worry about it. Peace between animals. Saying the lion and the lamb shall dwell together. There isn't going to be any more war, even in the in the world of nature. It's going to be uh, a world like we can hardly imagine. All we know is those who got a glimpse of it were worshipping God. And I pray one day all of us will be there too and worshipping God, appreciating Him for what He did with this world, so unlike of what we did with this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. We remember your wrath is just and the way you feel about our sins. Uh, You would have been perfectly just, perfectly righteous, uh, punishing all of us with eternity in hell. And yet we're told you made for us a way of salvation if we only trust in the way that you have made and trust in what your son has done for us on the cross. Such love you showed to us. To think that the creator will die for the creature, we might have life and come to know you and appreciate you and worship you for who you are is really more than That mouth can tell. We praise you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.